So we're doing the Beatitudes this fall. We're up to uh, blessed are those who mourn. But before I read that, uh, let me uh, pray and uh, we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you today that uh, you see us for who we are. You know us and you love us. Lord, we uh, confess that we don't mourn enough and that we find comfort in uh, uh, faults and uh, untrue places. So help us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So um, um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, this is the word of God, we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I don't, uh, one of the things I want to say right out at the beginning uh, about this text is um, Jesus is addressing emotions here. Okay? Now, you know, we tend to think of the Bible, especially in our tradition, everything's about what you think, and that's good. You need to think. We probably don't think enough. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is, mourning is not an intellectual exercise. It's an emotional exercise. It's things you feel, right? So, so Jesus is, is speaking here uh, after uh, calling out uh, uh, the poverty of spirit. He goes even further to say, uh, blessed are those who mourn. In other words, what you could say, Scott, go ahead and put my notes up there. One of the things that's so uh, weird about this is that uh, there's some people who translate this as happy are the unhappy, right? Now, I know that you know some people who delight in being unhappy, right? That that's their bent in life. Unhappiness is just the way they roll, and, and they're daring you to make them feel better, so that they can be even unhappier, you know, and they, they like that. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who see the world for the way it is, who've experienced sin, brokenness. Uh, they see it in themselves. They see it in others. They see it in the, the world around us, and it makes them sad. Um, some of us aren't very disposed towards sadness, and some of us aren't very disposed towards happiness. Some of us don't feel very much, but some of us feel all the time. I have a child, uh, he's not a child anymore, he's a young man, in my family who feels everything. Uh, so emotionally, uh, he's, just, he's just a big nerve ending, and it's weird given that he's, he makes his living as a soldier, but... But he feels things so passionately. When, uh, when he was younger, before he was even in school, he would go and spend a week in the summer with my parents and with uh, uh, my brother and sister-in-law. And my brother and sister-in-law spoiled him because they only had girls. And they looked at him and they thought if they had a son, he would be like that. He would look like them. And they just, they, the world was his oyster. They, and he was cute, you know, I mean... Um, so they, they're doing their normal summer routine and, uh, their girls were swimming in a swim meet and they took guy to the swim meet with them and they're at the swim meet. And of course the world's his oyster. So he goes to the snack bar and he wants a bag of Skittles and they're trying to get the Skittles open. And, 
Uh, my brother was, was working with him, and he was getting frustrated, and he opened the bag of Skittles, tore it apart, and the Skittles went all over the pool deck. And you don't eat Skittles once they're on the pool deck. And so my brother called me and said, like, man, he is inconsolable. <laughs> and I'm like, T tell me about it. He's like, well, he ripped the bag, the Skittles went all over the pool deck, and he started screaming, this happens to me every time I get Skittles. God hates me. Why can't I have my Skittles? What am I going to do with him? And he's still, you know, so my brother, of course, rushes and goes and gets two bags of Skittles, very carefully opens them, pours them in a cup for him, you know, that kind of stuff. But that doesn't matter because the, the Skittles that he wanted were on the pool deck and he's just crushed. He's undone. He's on to something, right? The, the fact of the matter is, the way we tend to think about the gospel and the way we tend to think about Jesus is, is that Jesus walked around telling people, stop your crying, right? That he walked around fixing everything. That he walked around taking care of everything so that af after every interaction with Jesus... You know, nobody was ever sad ever again. You, they lived happily ever after. When in fact, you know, if you read the Gospels, um, Jesus is very comfortable with people's sadness. He's very comfortable with people's tears. One of the expenditures that we have in the church office is for tissues. Did you know that? We, we have to make sure that we have tissues. And I know that when someone says to me, hey, I need to come talk to you this week, I will ask Kristen and Ann, hey, do we have enough tissues? Because nobody's coming to me to say, hey, let me tell you about my great week. And when I was early on in this game, when I was first learning how to be a pastor, people would come and cry in my office, and it made me crazy because I'm like, I've got to fix this. I've got to do something about it. And as I've gotten older, I'm like, here, have another tissue. Cry some more. You know what? I'm going to cry with you too. I would submit to you this morning that part of what Jesus is getting at here when he says that blessed are they who mourn for they will be comforted is the fact of the matter is all of us uh, experience to some degree or another the, the sadness and the brokenness of sin and, and the sadness and the brokenness of sin against us, the, the sadness and brokenness of sin in the world, the, the, uh, the, the terrible things that go on uh, in us, to us, and around us. And oftentimes what we do about that is we, re we feel that deficit, we understand that, and because we live in a time and an age and a place where we can find comfort almost anywhere, we will latch on to those comforts, whether they be liquid or in pill form or in smoke form or some of us hyper-exercise for comfort, some of us eat for comfort, all of those things. Remarkable, isn't it? Part of the problem with that is I think we don't allow ourselves to feel the things that we need to feel. And we don't feel the sadness over the things that we ought to feel sad over. And when we do that, because we, it is such an alien thing to us and something that makes us so uncomfortable, we are quick 
to find comfort wherever we can. One day Jesus was invited to the house of a Pharisee. And uh, Jesus is checking the Pharisee out, and the Pharisee is checking Jesus out. These, Jesus is laying at the table. Weirdly, that's the way they did it back then. They laid down at the table. Uh, and while they're there, a woman of ill repute in the city comes and stands at Jesus' feet, and she's crying, wailing. In fact, her tears are flowing so much, they fall on Jesus' feet. She takes down her hair, she gets down, she washes her, his feet with her hair. She breaks open some perfume and perfumes his feet. Everyone's uncomfortable, except Jesus. And what Jesus does with that, he doesn't jump up and say, hey, stop your crying. He doesn't jump up and say, no, you know, we're not, there's no need for you to be sad. Everything's okay. Work on your self-esteem. No, he says, sister, though your sins are great, they're forgiven. You see, that's the ministry that Jesus has there is, is that the comfort that he extends to her is not to, to tell her that her sin is not serious or the sin of those men who sinned against her is not serious and the scars that she bears in her soul and her heart and her body are not serious. But the, the thing, the issue before them is her sin and that Jesus assures her that her sin has been forgiven. You see, we have the promise of God that when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness and we arrive at our destination, what will we find? What will happen? Well, Jesus will come and wipe away every tear. But the reality is he wipes away tears because they're tears. So as we look at this this morning, I want us to kind of understand and kind of grapple with what it is that that Jesus is getting at when, when, we, when he says these crazy words. Next slide. Ecclesiastes has this great passage in chapter 7, verses 2 to 4, that we don't, uh, well, it's just, it's just a, a, a kind of a contrary passage to the way in which we think about things. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Let me just read that again. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. So what Jesus is getting at, and what I think Ecclesiastes is getting at is, is that the pathway to true joy, the pathway to true delight, the pathway to uh, 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 the, the joy that the kingdom brings to us is a pathway first and foremost through mourning, is a pathway through the recognition that sin, my sin, has wrecked me. Your sin has wrecked you. My sin may have wrecked you, and your sin may have wrecked me, and when we get a whole bunch of us together, our sin wrecks the whole world. Now, that's like, oh, you know, that is, that is a tough, that's a tough message. 
But the fact is, once we go through that morning and once we come to grips with that and once we begin to see and feel the brokenness, the suffering, the pain, the disjunction, the disruption that our sin is to us and to others, then what we begin to see is that what Jesus is providing is something that is true and eternal and firm and strong and infinite. That the comfort that Jesus gives to us, that the comfort that he brings to us is is something that is narrow in the sense that he is our only comfort, but it is so powerful and so profound that the comfort of the gospel, the comfort of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the comfort of the words from Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven you, is the pathway to endless joy. But if we have no sin... And we have no sense of the disruption and the sadness and the brokenness of our sin. The words, your sins are forgiven you, will just slide right off of us. I came across this sentence from John Stott this week. There's not enough sorrow for sin among us. Right? Those are, that's, that's, that's a very direct word. And I think, I think what I would say in, in, in response to that is there, there is not enough joy among us. And the reason why there's not enough joy among us is because we have not mourned our sin. And because we have not mourned our sin or come to grips with that, then, then the fact is we want to jump quickly to the joy of the gospel, quickly to the promise of eternal life, quickly to the promise of every tear being wiped away. And we forget by doing that, we have an internal sense, a sense that the value of what Jesus Christ has done for us is not that great. And so the comfort of the gospel shrinks. And the joy, therefore, of the gospel begins to shrink. Now, why is this? Well, I think one of the things that may be true of us is we're tempted, particularly in the age and the time in which we live, is to to have placed before us other people's sin all the time. All the time, right? And, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in America today by displaying the sins of other people to make you mad to make you click, to make you tune in. A lot, a lot. Um, and what that does to me is, you know, I, 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 when was the last time you watched a news show? When was the last time you watched Fox or MSNBC or CNN or, or whatever it is you watch and you saw a news thing and it, it, it had an emotional effect on you that made you cry? That's hard for me to remember. I, I got mad this morning watching the news. Oh, and that felt good, man. That was almost as good as coffee, you know? I'm like, who needs coffee when you can watch this and be like, yeah, those losers, right? Next slide. Psalm 119, that great uh, uh, poem about the beauty and the Uh, wonder of the word of God says this, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Now that sounds like a verse for our time, right? (laughs) I can look around and I can say, 
wow, you know, I, I, I can find a reason to cry because you are not keeping God's law. There, I feel much better. That's what, that must be the pathway to joy, right? The problem with that is that's absolutely true. It's always been true. And, and the fact is you miss the, the, the fundamental truth of this is because last time I checked, you're a person which qualifies you as one of the people who is not keeping the law of God. Right? And so what that does for me is that while I look about me and I mourn and I call out the sin that is around us, I do it from the standpoint of, you know what, I'm one of you. I too, I am a sinner and I have sinned greatly against others. And so the, the, that's why I think Jesus so wisely warns us and warns his disciples that as we, the, the pathway to real joy, and Jesus died to give us joy. Jesus is preparing a place for us of eternal joy. But that joy will be devalued by us if we don't come to grips first with the, how broken and how sad and how awful sin is that it wrecks us, that it wrecks our friends and our family, those we even love and those we don't love, and that we have been wrecked by the sins of others, right? So what Jesus wants us to do today, and what I think is, is true for us, is we need to become comfortable with grieving our sin and grieving the sins of others. We need to be comfortable with being able to say that, you know what, I, what I did here was wrong, and I am, I am sad that I did this. And I am, not only that I am sad that I see the, the results of this thing I did, I am sad that I did this, that this is true of me. Now, people get nervous about this because it seems like, you know, Christians are use this as a way to manipulate one another and, you know, you need to have a high, happy, uh, high uh, 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 self-esteem and, and that sort of thing. And, and I want you to have a great self-esteem, but I want you to have self-esteem because Jesus esteems you, that he loved you, that he died for you, and that because of him, as you come to grips with the fact that those things that are real about you that would give you low self-esteem, that he says, look, here's life. Here's real joy. Here's how you can be renewed and changed and, and how you can find a solid comfort regardless of the hard things and the difficult things that living in this world brings to us. So today you probably don't have a lot of joy. Or maybe you have joy that is kind of shallow. But we probably have little joy and comfort from God because we really don't need it, right? The, the joy of sins forgiven, the way I can tell you that you have a sense of joy, the joy of sins forgiven, is when someone comes to you and says you sinned. And you may say, I know, but. Yes, I did, but. When in fact, the pathway to joy is you're exactly right. I sinned. I, I repent. I turn to Jesus. And I find there his words. 
your sins, which are many, have been forgiven because I paid the price. I atoned for you, right? So there's no need for comfort if there's no mourning, if there's no sadness over our sin and the sins of others. You see, that's the pathway to join the gospel. That's, that's where we come at it today is that Christians, many of us, have this kind of shallow, fake kind of gladness and joy because we haven't really come to grips with the fact that Jesus died, that our sin has separated us from God and separated us from one another, and Jesus died to redeem, to change, to reorient us, and to bring us back into fellowship with God and with one another. As we come to the table of the Lord this morning, this is a great reminder to us of where joy is found. Remember, you know, the the fact is we, we do end up in the end in a house of feasting. But to get there, we must mourn. The disciples prepared the Passover, and when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and they were reclining at the table, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's use this confession of sin. It's printed uh, in the bulletin, also up on the screens uh, behind me. Pray with me. Our Father, enlarge our hearts, warm our affections, open our lips to proclaim the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. There, grace removes our burdens and heaps them on your Son, made a transgressor, a curse, and sin for us. There the sword of your justice struck the God-man. There your infinite attributes were magnified, and infinite atonement was made. There infinite punishment was due, and infinite punishment was endured. Christ was all anguish that we might be all joy. Cast off that we might be brought in, trodden down as an enemy that we might be welcomed as a friend, surrendered to hell's worst that we might attain heaven's best, stripped that we might be clothed, wounded that we might be healed, thirsty that we might drink, tormented that we might be comforted, made ashamed that we might inherit glory. Our Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from our eyes, groaned that we might have endless song, endured all pain that we might have unfading health, bore thorns that we might have a crown of glory, bowed his head that we might uplift ours, experienced reproach that we might receive welcome closed his eyes in death that we might gaze on unclouded brightness, expired that we might forever live. O Father, you did not spare your only Son, that you might spare us. Go forth, O conquering God, 
and show us the cross, mighty to subdue, comfort, and save. Brothers and sisters, hear these words. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Your warfare is ended. Your sins are pardoned. The penalty of your rebellion is paid. 